Uh, today's sermon is called uh, In Times of Discouragement. Um, there are certain slogans uh, that perfectly fit or perfectly encompass uh, the identity of its company. Um, as we know, just do it. What is that? Nike, exactly. Um, impossible is nothing. A little bit harder, Adidas, right? Finger licking good. KFC, exactly, very good. There are some things money can't buy. For everything else, there's MasterCard. Thank you, Frank. You're very, you're very good. <laughs> Disneyland uh, has two slogans, actually. First is, uh, the happiest place on earth. Second is, the place where dreams come true. You know, I bring this up because Paul, in this passage, is now in the city of Corinth. And I think a lot of us, we've heard of the city of Corinth before because we know that one of the books of the Bible is, is called Corinthians. But I don't know if you know this, but Corinth was known for a very particular sort of thing. It was known for being one of the most immorally terrible places in the known world at that time. You see, if the city of Corinth had a slogan back then, then it would probably be something like this, the morally dirtiest place on earth, or something like the place where adult dreams come true. <laughs> Corinth, you see, it was known as Sin City. People would say that this person was a Corinthian type of guy, and it meant that he was probably a drunkard and really, really immorally bad. To say that a woman was a Corinthian type of woman, it meant that she was a prostitute, that she would sell her body for money. In theater plays, a man only needed to come out drunk, and they would know that he was supposed to represent a man from Corinth. And so this is where we find Paul today. And I know that for a lot of us, when we think of Paul and, and how great he was, we think, okay, yeah, Corinth was a bad place, but man, if any one person could take on that entire city, then it would probably be Paul. And yet what we see here is actually the opposite, because Paul is at the very end of his line. You see, Paul, he was tired. He was discouraged. He had been going from city to city, experiencing hardship after hardship, and finally, after all of this time being chased out from cities, not going to expectation, constantly being chased out and stoned and, and experiencing all these difficulties, he comes to the city of Corinth, that Corinth, and he's about to give up. I know that sometimes it can be hard for us to relate to Paul, his unflappableness, his steadiness in all circumstances, his, his faith. And yet, this was a time when he was just simply tired. Church, how many of us are tired today? I will be the first to admit that the Christian walk isn't an easy one. There are times when we get discouraged because we strive to live for God and yet nothing seems to be changing. 
We're working and we're going towards the Lord and we try our best to, to live in response to all that God has done in our lives. And yet it just seems like one thing after another doesn't go according to plan. And there can be a hundred good things happen in our lives. A hundred good things that we seem like everything is matching up and yet it just takes one person it just takes one situation, it just takes one mistake for us to really fall apart. I'm sure these were the thoughts that were running through Paul's head when he arrived at Corinth. And yet what we see is that something happens in this passage, and it gives him this fresh wind, and it gives him this fresh fire to run the race. Something was given to him that renewed his spirit and allowed him to stay passionate. Church, if you are tired today, then I believe God has a word for you. Because the things that God gives Paul, he gives you as well. And in this passage, we're just going to look at two things that God does. The first is that he gives Paul friends. And the second is that he gives Paul a promise. You see, first is that God, he gives Paul friends. Paul, he was discouraged because nothing had been going right in his life. We talked last week about how the Philippian jailer had come to know the Lord, that God, he did this miracle to bring them out of prison. That was a great thing. And yet what we didn't read was that later, the entire city chased him out that they were against Paul. And so Paul, he goes and he runs out and he runs to Thessalonica. And he plants this church and it seems like everything is going well. And yet at the same time, the city of Thessalonica chases him out. And so he runs away again. And he comes to this city called Athens. And it's the city brimming with potential. And what we see is that, man, he preaches this great, eloquent, power-filled sermon. Amazing sermon. And yet it says that barely anyone is saved. And so he walks out of Athens dejected. And he comes to Corinth. And man, Paul is just tired. He's tired. And it was in that moment that God brought two friends to Paul. Verse 2, it says, And he found a Jew named Aquila, a native of Pontus, recently come from Italy with his wife Priscilla, because Claudius had commanded all the Jews to leave Rome, and he went to see them. You see, Paul was discouraged, and it was in that moment that God brought Aquila and Priscilla into his life. Church, let me tell you a little bit about Priscilla and Aquila. You see, they're mentioned six times in the Bible, and they're always accompanied with some of the most wonderful words from Paul. Man, he loves them. He is so close to them. And you could tell that they have lived life together, that they have broken bread together, that they have shared their secrets and their, and their lives together. They were the closest of friends, and it's this passage here that shows us the beginning, the very beginnings of that friendship. Now, one interesting tidbit is that of those six mentions, 
majority of them start with the name Priscilla. They say Priscilla and Aquila. And that's a really rare thing to start with the wife's name instead of the husband's. Scholars say that one of the reasons was maybe Priscilla came from a really wealthy family. And so it just makes sense to put her name first because people would just recognize it more than Aquila. Another reason which I think is interesting is that it could be because Priscilla was just more gifted than Aquila. She could have just been simply smarter than Aquila. She could have just simply been more, have more charisma than her husband. She could be more extroverted than her husband. And therefore, her name was put up first. But whatever the reason we see, we know that every time they're brought up, Paul, he speaks so highly of them. Now, the question is, what was it about Priscilla and Aquila that made them such good friends? Well, I think the main reason is that they made Jesus Christ their priority. This was so important for Paul's spiritual health. And I want you, to, I want you guys to listen well too, because this applies to many of you. Because for Paul, even though he was one of the greatest evangelists of all time, his own spiritual health deteriorated. And it deteriorated to the point where he was afraid to go out and preach the word anymore. And the reason why is because daily he was surrounded by unbelievers. You see, even though he was so faithful to the Lord, even though he had a calling from God, even though he was a Christian and nothing could take that away from him, for him being surrounded by non-Christians every day was affecting his soul. And therefore, God brought two Christians who loved the Lord into Paul's life. We know that Priscilla and Aquila loved God. We know that they were missionaries, in fact. They started in Corinth, then they went to Ephesus, and then they ended up in Rome. In 1 Corinthians 16, 19, it says that a church was formed from believers who gathered at their home. They were hospitable. They were generous. They were loving to others. They supported Paul. They were Christians who ran the race with him. And so what Aquila and Priscilla did was that they helped Paul refocus his vision and his eyes upon God. Church, when you have true friends, they will lead you closer to Christ, not further away from him. And this is going to be a difficult truth for many of us. Because just, look, here's the thing. I'm going to say this carefully. Just because you met your friend at church doesn't mean that it's a biblical friendship. Just because you know them here, just because maybe you've grown up with them, just because you've seen them here every single week doesn't mean that they're a biblical friendship. The definition of a biblical friendship is one that leads you closer to Christ, not further away from him. You see, John Piper, he says it this way, Christian friendships exist for this, namely to say things that keep each other believing. That's it. That is our goal for each other. 
That is the goal of Priscilla and Aquila. And that is the goal of the church. We are here namely to say things to keep each other believing. It is to encourage one another towards Christ. And look, I'm saying this because if you are not a pastor, then you are probably in a job where you are not around many Christians. For most of your daily life, you are surrounded by non-Christians who by definition are not leading you towards Christ. They are leading you further away from him. And church, that's why, this is why Christian friends are so good for your soul. This is why it's so good to have brothers and sisters who can pour into you whose lives are directed toward Jesus Christ so that when they see that you are moving away from him, they can refocus your heart towards him. It's why God orchestrated it so that in Paul's time of discouragement, he would find two of his best friends. You see, true Christian friends will encourage you to keep your faith. And they will encourage you and they will show you that God is still working in your life. Even for Paul, the greatest evangelist of that time, he had forgotten the goodness of God in his life. And I think it's interesting that the first people God brought to Paul was not Timothy, it was not Peter, it was not any of the apostles of the early church. It was not any of the leaders within Antioch. It was Priscilla and Aquila, simply Christians who happened to meet him in Corinth. Church, I love encouraging others. I love, in particular, encouraging you, my church. I love speaking words of truth into your life. I love lifting you up and pushing you. I love vision casting in that way. But I hope that I am not your main source of encouragement. I hope that the pastoral staff, as good and faithful as they are, are not your main source of biblical encouragement. We read here that Paul wasn't just receiving from Peter, that God did not simply bring him pastoral leadership. God gave him strength through one couple that happened to meet him in Corinth. There are brothers and sisters here who are able to speak into your life and walk in your life in a way that maybe the pastoral staff wouldn't be able to. Those are the brothers and sisters that God is calling you to invest in and that were willing to invest in you. You don't always have to look for the Peters, for the Pauls, for the Johns, for whoever. There are people in your life, within your life group, within your discipleship, within your prayer meetings, within your lives today who can speak words of encouragement and of truth to you. Don't forget to look for them, church. You see, church, the other reason why Priscilla and Aquila were able to be such good friends with Paul was simply because they lived life together. Verse 3 says, And because he was of the same trade, and he stayed with them and worked, for they were tent makers by trade. We see that they were both tent makers. 
that Priscilla and Aquila and Paul, they were tent makers by trade. And so they happened to meet each other. They happened to have the same job. And so they naturally began to live life together. And it was through their daily interactions that Paul was able to be renewed. It is not an accident that in Hebrews 3.13, it says, but encourage one another every day. It is fine to have life groups once a week or bi-weekly. It's fine to have discipleship once a week. It's fine to come to prayer meetings once a week. But those meetings are meant to be a starting off point to establish relationships with one another every day. True biblical friendships aren't supposed to just grow in organized spaces that churches create. It's meant to be lived out in our everyday lives. Don't be fooled into thinking that your true biblical friendships are only created through those spaces that our church creates. No, no, no. Those are foundational, yes. Those are good to have, yes. But they're only supposed to be step one. If you're only staying in step one, then it's hard-pressed for me to say that you have a true biblical friendship because it's clear here that it's supposed to be lived out every day together. So we see that God, he purposely brings two people to Paul in his time of discouragement. Church, if you are tired and weary, I want to encourage you today. God has brought you to this church for a reason. You are here because God, he sees your tiredness. He sees how weary you are, and he has brought a community here for you. He knows that your burden has become heavy. And what he's done is he has brought godly people into your life to speak words of truth, words of encouragement, and words of love to lift you and refocus your heart to Jesus Christ. I just have one application point for, for this point here. I know that throughout all of this, as, as we have been talking and, and dissecting this passage, many of us could be thinking, man, who is my Priscilla and Aquila? Who is that person within this church that can really encourage and really lift me up? But man, I want to challenge you to change that mindset and ask yourself, how can I be Priscilla and Aquila? Who is God calling me to encourage? Who is God calling me to uplift? Who is God asking me to push forward and run the good race with? God has brought you here for a reason, absolutely. And that reason could be because the person that you know, the person who is next to you, the person in this church that you are thinking of needs assistance, needs encouragement, needs prayer, and God has brought you into their lives today for a reason. It looks like everyone is doing well, but trust me, not everyone is. So my challenge to you is to reach out and encourage them. Okay? That's part one. The first thing God gives Paul are friends. Now we'll go into our second point, and it's that God gives Paul his promise. Verses 9 to 10, it says this, 
And the Lord said to Paul one night in a vision, Do not be afraid, but go on speaking, and do not be silent, for I am with you. And no one will attack you to harm you, for I have many in this city who are my people. Do you want to know how discouraged Paul was? He was so discouraged that it was to the point where good circumstances couldn't change his heart. Church, have you been so tired and so weary to the point where even good things happen to you and it doesn't change your mood? Verse 8, it says, Crispus, the ruler of the synagogue, believed in the Lord, together with his entire household. And many of the Corinthians, hearing Paul, believed and were baptized. People were believing in the gospel. Things were changing. People's lives were being transformed. God was using Paul. It was supposed to be that renewal period, and yet Paul was still tired. He was weary. He was afraid to continue, and he was tired of doing God's work. So God, he comes down and he speaks to Paul. And he tells him in verse 9, Do not be afraid, because I am with you. Church, in the Greek, it's, it's actually a lot more emphatic. Because God says, Do not be afraid, for I myself am with you personally. Church, God is a personal God. I think many times when we're serving Jesus, when we're serving the church, we get the idea that we're just simply pieces of a machine, that God, he has to take care of billions of people, that my worry today cannot be that consequential for him. And yet, I want you to know that God is personally, actively involved in your life, that he knows exactly what is going on, and that he personally cares for you. You see, for, for Paul here, God, he looks at Paul's life and maybe the worst time of his life and says that he would be with him. And these words were so powerful that for Paul, when he hears them, he stays in the city for a year and a half preaching and teaching and being renewed. What was it about these words that gave Paul so much courage? Well, it was simple. This promise of being with us is a promise of God's power. We believe that God, he created the heavens and the earth. We believe that God is the God of creation. That he spoke light, earth, everything into existence. That is the God that we serve. And this is the God who gives us the promise that he will be with us every single day forever. That is a powerful, beautiful promise to you and to me. You know, there's an article in Science Daily that said that there, were, that there are an estimated 15 million different species, different types of species that live on Earth. But as of now, we only know of about 2 million of them. Apparently, in 2020, there were 213 new species that were discovered. That's crazy to me. 
I did not think that the earth was that big, right? For us, even today, we're, we're just beginning to explore Mars. And it's just one of the planets within our solar system. We have eight planets within our solar system. I'm embarrassed to say that I had to look that up. I blame our school system. But there are eight planets in our solar system. Did you know that scientists say that there are billions of solar systems all throughout the universe? When you think of this, and when you think of how big this universe is, and of how much we don't know, man, think of that. Just think of it for just a, just a moment. Our God created all of it. In a single breath, he created it. He created the species that we don't know about. He created the planets that we have no idea about. He created everything in this world, and yet he promises you, you who, who are sitting here today, that he will be with you in every circumstance, in every situation, through every high and through every low, that he will hold you in his hand. That is the promise that God gives us. That's why Paul is able to say in Romans 8.31, if God is for us, then who can be against us? When I was younger, my family, we would go to Myrtle Beach every year for vacation. And to be honest, I actually didn't really like going to the sea. Um, I, the waves hurt, that's number one. Um, the, there's always, you know, seashells on the, on the, I just didn't like walking on the um, jellyfish, all that stuff, right? The water was painful anyways. So I wouldn't go in very often. Actually, I would really kind of refuse to go in. But there would be times when I would want to go in, when I wouldn't really mind going in. And it would be the times when my dad would hold me and we would go in together. And the reason was really simple. It was because I knew that when the waves would come, my dad would turn his back and that he would hold me and the wave wouldn't hit me. See, church, in Matthew 28, 20, the very last words that Jesus speaks to his disciples is this, and I will be with you always to the very end of the age. For many of us, we will experience so many waves if we haven't already. We will experience terrible waves that include our family. We will experience terrible waves that include our career. We will experience terrible waves that include our health. And yet the greatest wave that we will never have to face is the wave of death because Jesus Christ has taken that wave on him. Because in the Bible it says that Jesus Christ came down to earth and when we were supposed to die, when we were supposed to be separated from God forever, he took it upon himself. So that when that wave started to come in, he turned his back and it hit him instead of us. And now if we believe in him, that he died for our sins, that he rose again on the third day, we can be with him forever and eternity. 
God, he tells his people in Isaiah 46.4, I am he who will sustain you. I have made you and I will carry you. I will hold you and I will rescue you. This is God's promise to you, church. In times of discouragement, do not be afraid. God gives you exactly what he has given Paul. Look around you and see your community. There are friendships here that will last you for the rest of your life. There are brothers and sisters here who will encourage you and that you are called to give an encouragement to. Seek after them and grow with them. You will not regret investing in them. You will only regret not reaching out to them. And lastly, church, remember God's promise to you. The God of the universe looks down at you and he says, do not be afraid, do not be discouraged, for I myself am with you personally. Amen? Let's pray.